0: And I remember one of the professors in the film department when I was taking a screenwriting class said you'll never get off this, this off the ground, don't even bother. So that was the real bit between the teeth to say ah, I'll show you. My sport has taught me incredible resilience, endurance, uh, overcoming the odds, overcoming obstacles. From the artistic standpoint, um, you know, that creativity has really lended itself to thinking outside the box about how to get things done.
1: This is the Greg Bennett Show, presented by Any Question. I'm your host, Greg Bennett. Right, today's guest is just a true inspiration and just powerhouse in every sense of the word. She's a five-time world triathlon champion, author and an award-winning filmmaker having just taken home four Oscars for a film All Quiet on the Western Front. Her career as an athlete is nothing short of remarkable. She won the Exterra Triathlon World Championships in 2011, 2012, and again in 2018. And she won the World Triathlon Cross Championships in 2012 and 2018. Her film career is also astonishing. She co-wrote and was the executive producer for the critically acclaimed film adaption of the anti-war novel All Quiet on the Western Front, which took home, as mentioned, four Oscars from nine nominations and won the 2022 BAFTA Award for Best Film. She has also authored the book, The Brave Athlete, with her husband, Dr. Simon Marshall. The book offers just so much practical advice and inspiration for anybody looking to improve their mental and physical performance. Her talent, her versatility as an athlete, writer, and filmmaker are just truly awe-inspiring, and it's an honour and privilege to have her join me today. So welcome, and thanks for joining me on The Greg Bennett Show, Leslie Patterson. How are you?
0: Hey, how are you, buddy? I'm great.
1: <laughs> you must be. First off... Massive congratulations um, for the awards, but also just just the film. Uh, I was just telling you before I hit record just how much I enjoyed it, how exhausted I was <laughs> after going through that film, um, and even about two thirds of the way through, I had to pause and go to a meeting. And it was right after the scene where the main character Paul had a had an encounter with the Frenchman, and it was, uh, oh, it, was it was very humanizing. No. It was very graphic. And I could hardly speak in my meeting. In all honesty, I had to say, "Can you give me a moment? I've just, I just been watching a film where I've just got to get, get, get myself sorted." So massive congrats again. Unbelievable. I
0: tell you what, it really is—it it, it is an experience to watch that film. And mm. obviously, I've watched it a lot, and every time I, ca- you know, sort of experience something different. But interestingly, after our premiere at the Toronto Film Festival in September when it finished, there was complete silence, like no clapping, no standing ovation, Uh nothing. And we're like, oh my God, they hate it. Uh, But that wasn't the case. I think it it, it takes you down this journey that you probably have never been down before. Mm. And it stays with you for many, many hours, if not days, if not weeks. And it is probably the most anti-war film you'll ever watch. <laughs>
1: oh, ser- seriously. I mean, I, I, as a kid, you know, my brother, my brother, you know, he is a, a war historian. And uh, and so we talk a lot about war and it's, it's, you know, one of our interesting favorite topics we discuss. And but I watched a lot of these war films and um, the you know, or Quiet on the Western Front, which the previous one, I guess 1970s or whatever it was, 1979, I think. And I remember watching that film and it was like, oh, but this one expanded upon that in a way that like you you wouldn't be cheering at the end of watching that film. You wouldn't be, it's not one where you're like, yes, you're cheering because how well it was done, but to yep. almost look, it makes you look so inwardly as who we are as humans and go, Really? We do that, yeah, we do that, totally <laughs> yeah, um. and I
0: think you know this was what was so interesting about this journey, sort of and and of course we'll we'll dance around all of this stuff mm. uh, in this podcast, but to um have written the screenplay. And then obviously it's a German novel and it's from the German perspective, but then to have a German director come on Mm. as a co-writer and also to direct it with his vision, Mm. the biggest learning curve was to understand that German sensibility, that that sort of place of shame Mm. in their culture. Um, there can be no heroes in their war films Mm. uh, because they are the losers, they are the instigators of so much death and so much destruction as a country, as a nation. So I think this film is completely imbued with that. Mm. And again, it's unlike anything we've seen before, because I think most war films, even if they're tragic, even if they take us on a profound journey or they're anti-war, they generally have a hero that guides us through that has some sort of, you know, retribution at the end, Mm -hmm, or, mm -hmm. you know, there's some plight, he is a hero. And, and and this this is anything but um, it, it truly is a story of the everyman getting shafted from every direction.
1: Yeah oh and, and to the final moments, right? I mean I, I I actually after watching it I went and did some more homework and you know, when was the last person, you know, actually when was the last person actually killed that or died? in before the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month and and, and in in your film it's it takes you right up until that point and it just and it was all done on ego and and well it was ego it felt like it was just ego it was his one commander it was just like no I don't want to go back to germany without at least something and i was like yep. oh, horrific. terrific it That's really scary. really was horrific and then really you know worked. understanding how how hard they were the Treaty of Versailles and, and, and how that really, you know, you, you almost leave this film going, well, no wonder we had World War Two The way that, Ended wasn't that's it, it,
0: that's it, and that's that's really what we wanted to portray because, um, when we auctioned this material 16 years ago,
1: 16 years we got to get into that a long
0: (laughs) time ago. Like, how do you adapt uh, uh, a literary classic like this? You Mm. know, Mm. how what's your stance, what's your perspective? You're viewing it through a lens with which you now sit. Uh, which is very different from when it was written because it was was written pre-World War II. Mm, Um, So once we did a lot of research, because, of course, not only are you digging into the book, the themes of the book, maybe the different angles that you want to pursue in the novel itself, but you're looking around and using research as your tool to investigate potentially different things Mm. that you want to achieve in your adaptation and one of the biggest things that we found of course in our research was the basis of world war one and how it led to world war two the armistice being signed the last six hours of the war the reparations that germany had to pay Mm. and to be honest as british people we were Absolutely dumbfounded by the whole scenario because, of course, we were never taught that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're taught about that jingoistic, aren't we great? Germany are awful, which, of course, I think this film tells us every side is awful ultimately. Yeah. Um, and it's the every man that suffers. But <laughs> What what we found upon reading the novel multiple times was that it, it really is like excerpts of a diary. It's very ethereal. It's absolutely beautiful and poetic, but it doesn't have a dramatic through line of a structure that modern cinematic audiences really need and desire. And we felt like it ne- it, it it really it really required so. This last six hours of the war and the armistice, this other storyline was Mm. not in the novel and we thought that it could really add this ticking clock and this dramatic tension mm. uh, and a wonderful juxtaposition uh, while also staying true to the themes. So that was kind of our um, our angle on it that, that came to us, to be honest, actually quite quickly.
1: It added tremendously to the film because you were, at one sense, you're, you're in the trenches and, and, and all the horrific th- that's going on there. And then the next thing you're in this luxury train, as they're all eating very well, and it's all these, you know, these pompous men. It took you from one extreme to the other, and it, and yep. then you were back into it. And I was like, oh my god, it's like I need a breather. <laughs> it was, uh, I, knew- I was fascinated to also see, you know, with Adolf Hitler, you know, he he made the book. Bu- all the bu- books were burnt in nineteen thirty-three right. or something, thirty-two, because he didn't want to show his German people, German people that. Uh, his soldiers were disillusioned with war from World War One. I. I thought that was fascinating.
0: Yeah, no, it really does, and it gives you a real understanding of their country, their culture, mm. and also just history in general, and 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 how does it repeat itself? What can we learn from that? And I think certainly in more current times, for us, it really was about putting ourselves in the other side's shoes mm-hmm. and living in that for a moment because very rarely at the moment do we do that we we you know we're very siloed in our thinking we're in our mm-hmm. own little groups uh, our narrative you know is continually bolstered by other people mm-hmm. supporting it mm-hmm. and i don't think we're challenged so we choose not to look at the other side and there's so much anger and hatred hatred and polarization of thought mm you know, when people talk about why now, you know, why take this classic now? And and, and that was one of the biggest reasons, I think, for us as writers.
1: That, I think that's really well said. And I, 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 you're presuming that we should have empathy for each other and, and actually think about. I, mean, I, I don't think we spend enough time on that. I think this this film is a great illustration of what we can actually, if we actually do pause for a moment and think about the other, the other side and why are people thinking this way or that way. I don't think, I, I think you're exactly right. It's a time now that we actually need to start investigating this far more. We need to be far more empathetic. Um, mm. But look, tell me, <laughs> the awards, the awards season I mean, are you exhausted? Are you happy to be home? You know, how is it?
0: It is, it is the, it's been the wildest ride of our lives. I kid you not. I mean, just as well, I'm an endurance athlete because... You know, I, I get really competitive, as you can well imagine, about sort of pursuing every lead, uh, leaving no stone unturned in terms of, you know, getting the word out, getting the narrative out, supporting sort of Netflix and their campaign. And I've been in so many different sort of countries and screeners and Q&As and taking every interview I can, getting up at two in the morning, wow. doing this, doing that. Um, you know, so it's, it's, it's been a lot, I mean, but at the same time, it's been truly wonderful because when you're on the circuit, you get to meet a lot of the other artists mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of the other, like really top artists, directors, writers, and so on, you know, that are the best in the biz and to talk to them, to hear them, uh, and to sort of be in the a conversation, to be a peer with them is un. Believable, And it gives me so much motivation and my husband as well to know that this is where we want to be. And how do we get back here again? Um, And how do we continue to work with with true greatness? You know, Mm. because the funny thing is, is a lot of people are like, oh, you know, what are the celebs like? And what are the big names like? And this and that. And I tell you what, every single one of them, they were absolutely lovely, Mm. super normal, very down to earth, and ultimately just obsessed with her craft. Mm. And, you know, you'll be the same, buddy. I mean, it's like you don't get to the top by thinking that you want to be at the top. Mm-hmm. You get to the top by absolutely being obsessed with everything in between and the process of doing what you're doing.
1: Mm. Well said. I, um, Well, you're definitely leaving an impression uh, where you go. You know, we both have a mutual friend with Bill Gerber um, who was on this oh, show right. a couple yeah. of weeks ago. Yeah, and he... He was chatting to me, we, we've, we've been working together on a, you know, the Any Question Project and, um, and he said, oh, Greg, you know, Leslie, Leslie Patterson just blah, blah, blah. And, and, and so wherever you go, you're leaving an impression beyond being an athlete, you're leaving an impression as a, as a human being uh, and, and I think that, like what you're saying, it resonates when, when you're in that kind of community is, wow, if you can be around some authentic, normal, good people you know i think you 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 you're definitely making an impression which i'm excited for you as we go forward
0: yeah you know and I, I, this business is so relational mm. and ultimately people want to work with good people yeah and if i've learned anything about this journey it is you, you got to be kind mm. you got to be authentic you got to help others mm-hmm. uh, give mm-hmm. out you'll get back i mean i've learned that time and time again And really, it's the experience. I want to keep having amazing experiences. Mm -hmm. You know, the collaboration piece of creativity is so wonderful and absolutely floats my boat beyond. Again, you know, you're not out there for celebrityism or for, uh, you know, adulation. You're out there to make something that can have an impact on someone's life the way that Films have had online, mm. um, and you can change the course of somebody's life because of a film that you make. Mm-hmm. Because especially now in today's society, because think about how we, you know, how we um, watch content, how we absorb it, and how it impacts our lives. It really is the place of discourse for everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, this film is is hopefully
1: the start of many. I almost feel like it's too soon to ask the question what's next but are the wheels turning have you got you know ideas of where you want to go
0: Oh yeah mate yeah tons <laughs> so we have so you can imagine you know it's one of those things um after the after the oscars of course I was so bitterly disappointed after not getting the Oscar for Best Adapted I was too and <laughs> and it was and it was it was the strangest, weirdest feeling ever, 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 because unlike a race where you have control over your destiny, you can try harder, you know you've laid it all out there, you have no control over this outcome. You've done everything that you can and you're sitting there. And in a heartbeat, you have to take it on and be okay with it. And I wasn't. <laughs> It <laughs> just wasn't. And I'm like, oh my God, like, I really thought we were going to win it and then we didn't. And then you have to be public about it. And then everyone's like, great, you're going to go to the parties, you're going to go to Vanity Fair, you need to make sure you meet mm, a ton of people. And yeah. I'm like, all I want to do is go in the bathroom and cry.
1: Yeah, go home. Yeah. <laughs> go home. Yeah.
0: You know, but just like any any athletic endeavour that I've experienced time after time over the last 25, 35 years, you have your pity party and then you get angry and you're like, right, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. <laughs> um, and uh, so, yeah, I've already, I've already been sending a million emails. We've got, so my husband and I, Simon, and we'll chat about him too. He played a, a big role in all quiet. He's an uncredited writer on that project himself, but he, he, he came out of uh, academia and now we write uh, and produce full time. So we have about we have three finished scripts uh, that we're packaging at the moment and getting financed for. We have about another four or five in development TV series and other projects. So we've got a lot we're,
1: <laughs> we're wow, doing. I love that. You know, um, you talk about being disappointed, and I, I used to say this to Laura, you know, when you cross a, a finishing line. And for me, it was really important to have that time to be disappointed right it was because right. it mattered and and mm-hmm. and if i wasn't disappointed then i think i'd be doing the wrong thing i think it's okay right. like it's it's actually not okay it's necessary it's a part of the whole process but then there is that that next step of going okay now i'm going to adapt and i'm going to let it fuel me to do better and be better so i think that's really great that you went through that i do think you know you are walking away the the film did receive Four Academy Awards. It's it's not like you walked away empty-handed. It was just obviously you wanted the big one. My personal view is I think, yeah, I think you should have got it. But, you know, whatever. Yep. No, nobody actually knows well, how that all works out.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, you know, it's a really curious thing again, you know, sports is so definitive yeah. and you're either yeah. you're either the best on the day or you're not, but of course there's other factors that play into that too, right? How much support do you get? Yeah. Who's in your corner? How much money do you have? How much privilege do you have? What do you have access to that's all led to this point? So there's always discrepancies between that competition um, but when it comes to film one it's very subjective but two when it comes down to the politics of you know what's going on in the academy who's liked, who's not liked, who's supported, who isn't. Also your history Mm. um, in terms of you know do you have a legacy there and they want to sort of and that that factors in. How can it not? It's like politics. Yeah. You know, if you're voting for someone, if you really if you really like a film, and there's your box right there. But the other film you really like too, and it's kind of 50 If you know that, if you know that person that's done of one course. of the films personally, yeah. And you really like them and support them as a person. Who are you going to vote for? Yeah.
1: And and what's their agenda? You know, at the end of the day, what what are they trying to sell, or what, what's the agenda from this year? Or I don't know. I feel like this is what's happened to the Oscars the last 10 to 15 years. You feel like every every time, what are they trying to get us to believe now? You know, or what is their That's agenda? It. What's the underlying, what is the takeaway they want us to all have from this award ceremony? Right. And, and that can be a massive impact on what they're choosing. But anyway, I think you should be tremendously proud, tremendously satisfied, but also invigorated to do more because obviously you've got some talent at this.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and a lot of joy, right? You yeah. know, there's so many amazing stories out there to tell and people need them more than ever. You know, it's a, a place where we can really investigate who we are, how the world works, what's going on and challenge it.
1: mm no, I like that. And the more you travel, the more you understand the world as well. I'm sure even this awards season, just being able to travel as much as you did and even as an athlete, you actually get to see the world from different sides, which is going to help, you know, your creativity process, I'm sure.
0: Oh, absolutely. And I'll tell you what, um, I actually became quite, you know, sort of good friends with Sarah Polly, the director-writer that that won in our category, and she's an amazing, mm-hmm. amazing female and incredibly supportive and incredibly talented. So again, we'll come back to that sort of putting yourself in other people's shoes is hurtful or tough as it was. I forced myself to look at social media you know, and to see the joy that she had and the support and the people around her and her family, we met her husband. Mm. It was a really beautiful thing. Mm. She's been in the industry for a long, long time. Mm. It's it's the same if you're, you know, can you be happy for your competitor? Mm -hmm. You know, if they've done everything that they can and really worked it hard, then, um, you know, you got to be happy for them.
1: You have to, you have to, you know, it's one of those things they've worked equally hard and, and yeah, you, you have to just take your hat off to them sometimes. And I think sport teaches us those those things. They right. they help us go through those right. moments. What I want to do let, let's rewind the clock a little bit. It's been fun to talk about the film and and everything else. But I want to sort of just get an understanding of where your passion for both film and entertainment and sports sort of started. When, when did that all? When did this all start?
0: <laughs> yeah, probably when I was coming out the womb. <laughs> um, I'm not joking. Like, I've been a little sports billy since I was like, I could move. Yeah. Funnily enough, I used to pretend when I was about, I must have been about maybe five years old. I used to run around the park and bare feet and pretend I was Bud. No way. And my best mate uh, lived across the road. He'd be Steve Cram and we'd race uh- it out, you know. You know, I, I remember watching the Olympics really early on, just like, OK, I'm going to go there. I'm going to go there, you know. So I've always been driven in that regard towards sport. Uh, and then when I watched my brother play rugby, um, I was just like, are you kidding me? There's mud. I can beat up on boys. That looks amazing you know, very, very, you know, sort of into that whole thing. I love it. But do you know what it is, Greg? (laughs) It's like if anything um, is challenging in life or somebody tells me I cannot do it or it's, you know, a a path that nobody's done before, Mm. I want to do it, you know? I'm like super excited to give it a challenge. I don't know if it's... I don't know where that comes from, mm. but
1: it just is. You, you're very, you, you sound like you, you, you're you very competitive. You're very driven. You sound a lot like my wife to be honest. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. like she had all the talent in the world for certain things, but she probably went to her least, and she was always driven towards sport, but she, she chose triathlon. And I have no doubt she would have done very well in tennis, very well in golf growing up here in Florida. She's very athletic in that sense. But she's not a natural endurance athlete. Her body's not made for endurance. But her dad did it and she found it really tough. So that was the one she picked. And I, I often look back and go, Did you just pick it just because? She's like, Yeah. You know, it's like, but you said, and rugby. How old are you playing? Because I come from a rugby mad family. I play rugby. My brother played professional rugby. I mean, we're rugby mad family. So how old were you? Were you five, six, seven playing rugby?
0: I um, I played it from the age of seven through 12. So like five years. The
1: boys are getting big by 12. My goodness. Oh, I
0: know. I know. I'm (laughs) not kidding. It was pretty full on, but because I was quite dynamic by that point and I was quite quick and I could really jump around and then, you know, you have your little team that you've grown up with across of years that you're really tight with so yeah yeah, just absolutely absolutely loved everything about it being part of the team being part of the group but the funny thing is is you know on a saturday morning i'd off be playing rugby covered in mud and then in the afternoon i'd go to ballet dancing (laughs) and i would i would i would be in my ballet pumps odd socks
1: muddy knees i've always had those two different sides of my personality oh i I think that's that's fantastic that you go from one to the other and, and so so straight away. You must have been playing half back rugby, were you? Were you close to the scrum? Because you're
0: not ter- I was, ter- mate. Yep. Yeah. I like to be the little devious one.
1: Yes, riding right amongst in the
0: rucks, trying to grab the ball That's awesome. or supporting in that way or out on the wing, running as fast as I can. That's awesome. Um,
1: Are you watching the Rugby World Cup? Do you still enjoy rugby? Or have you been able to keep in I touch do. with it a little bit? Yeah. yeah.
0: I do love I do love it. I don't follow it as much as as much as, as I used to just because it's not big here in the US, but my brother lives in Cape Towns and he's a huge rugby fan and so is my mm. nephew, so you know I sort of get it through him uh, quite a lot now.
1: No. I have a mate of mine who has the number 1 uh, rugby podcast in the world, Alex Payne. He he does the commentary for the PTO um, events, but we often catch up just to talk rug- rugby and what he's going to be up to with, with the World Cup this year. So Anyway, oh, that's awesome. That is awesome. Um, so, look, going forward then, you know, you, you're, you're playing rugby, you're running, you know, around the park, you, you're doing ballet. Did you kind of realise at some point that, hey, I, I'm actually pretty good at this? It's not just fun, I'm actually reasonably good. And yeah. and, and then, you know, at what point did you say, hey, I'm going to go all in on this? And, and sorry, there's so many questions to unpack here, but it's like how how do you decide where to focus with so many passions and some abilities across the board?
0: Yeah, it was it was tough, but I, I just kind of went where my gut told me to go. Mm. And my parents were always mega supportive of that, which was amazing. I was very, very lucky in that regard. Um, and, you know, rugby wise, I mean, I was captain of the team, we won a bunch. So, I mean, I, I, I was used to winning at a young age. And I think that that gets you in a mindset, Mm. you know, of excellence really, doesn't it? Mm. And the pursuit of it. And so when I was no longer allowed to play rugby, because as you mentioned, the boys get bloody big. Mm. um, You know, my dad started taking me running out in the mountains in Scotland and then, you know, got me into the local triathlon club because more because it was a great community. Mm. And, you know, I grew up in this social environment, the team stuff around rugby And then out with my dad and these buddies running, you know, the team aspect of of triathlon and kind of this group uh, in the town I grew up in was a big deal. And I excelled pretty quickly and, you know, was recognised by the Scottish squad almost immediately and mm-hmm. they got me into their national teams. So I think, you know, there was always a lot of structure and always a lot of direction. And it's funny because you look back at how your parents have influenced sort of not only where you're at, but how you think about things. Mm-hmm. And my dad would always, we'd always sit down and talk about my goals, like long-term, short-term, which races, and we'd have the calendar out, we'd pick them, oh, yeah, and we'd talk that. about them. And I'm talking that's from the age of 12.
1: I love that. You know, I love that. My dad did the same thing. <laughs> I'm sorry to interrupt, but it's like, it makes me feel so good. Uh, yeah, go on. It's so great.
0: But it's, ama- it's amazing, and uh, again, yeah. you don't, appreciate that until later in life, mm. how that has set you up, how mm. that motivates you, your understanding of how to pursue greatness, basically, and, uh, and success is by having all of these small goals and big goals and these things that you're ticking off. And I think probably the, the biggest thing that the, the best and worst thing about my dad is the fact that it's always about where do you compare against the best in the world? Anything that you do, <laughs> so you know any race that I've competed in, any you know oh well so and so wasn't there, or oh, you know well there yeah, to be yeah. honest that's a bit of a joke that race, or you know I mean which is brutal. That is
1: brutal. Yes,
0: it's it's brutal because you're always like you know you, you can never quite please them, um, but at the same time that's a that's a great sort of skill or something that I've learned because. I mean, that's probably why I've been good in two fields because you you look at who are the best in the world and how do I emulate them? And Mm -hmm. I don't mean have the same journey and be the same as them, but what qualities do they have that I need to to get there? Mm -hmm. And therefore, what do I have to do?
1: That's well said. I mean, I think... I, I had the same with my dad in terms of goal setting, and he would often joke, and this is very much a joke you know don't come home unless you you win you know and it was like yeah. by the way, that was a joke, everybody, but he would and he'd say it with a big smile but there was always that element of when we're going out to do something we are trying to achieve. Greatness. And that was a whole part of goal setting is, and it wasn't so much, I don't know that I was measured up against others as that much, but it definitely was measured up against myself and, and trying to better myself. Mate. Um, it's funny, you know, as I, as I speak with you, um, my favorite movie of all time, and I've said this to Bill Gerber, Gerber and he kind of <laughs> thought I was wrong, was *Chariot of Fire. Okay, yeah. no, it's very much based in Scotland with Eric Liddell. Um, well, a good portion of it is anyway, and I, I listen to your accent. I listen to you, and I hear you talk about running. And uh, did that movie? inspire you at all have you ever do you know the movie have you watched it
0: I do yeah Yeah. I've watched it it was actually do you know what you sit here talking about it I must go back and watch it again I haven't watched it in about maybe seven or eight years yeah and and you know it's a child of its time for sure you know just in terms of the acting the character you know the character development all that but 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 it is a beautiful film and there's a lot I could relate to for sure (laughs) you know I mean I grew up in the in the world of Braveheart so you know that was definitely my Inspiration, but um, <laughs> it's, it's, which sounds ridiculous. But you know what it was? It's more about it was more about that underdog mentality mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and fighting back and having the strength to do so and taking risks. Mm-hmm. And that's what I got from that film. Mm-hmm. I'm going to fight no matter what, you know, to to try and achieve something, and I'm never going to give up.
1: No, both unbelievably great films, Braveheart. Just a little segue, I, I think Chris McCormack and I would always be in the water at these at these events and everybody would be creeping forward and we'd always be yelling, hold, hold. And it takes me back to that film every time. A little off topic, a little off topic. but
0: We totally do the same. I'm not joking. <laughs> me and Cy totally do the same. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, well, hold, hold. And then our other great one is uh, it's raining, you know, slightly to the side, like... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I can go yes,
1: on. Anyway, that's just i pathetic. Brilliant. I love it. So when was it then, you know, you, you started doing some tries, you had some ability. You did race for, for Scotland and, and Britain. Uh, quite a lot. When was it that you were kind of like? Okay, I'm going to be a professional athlete. I'm going to give this a good a good swing.
0: Yeah, you know, quite early on, I was on the talent ID program, so I was on lottery funding,
1: mm-hmm.
0: uh, which was amazing. And um, I was picked for the British team to go out to like the European Championships as a as a junior and raced like Kerisco Fillin, and I was in you know the Tim Dodd era when he was winning worlds. Mm. As a junior and all that, you know, I, I think my biggest result was second at the World Championships for a junior duathlon. Mm-hmm. So I was always there and thereabouts, but unfortunately, my swimming just was holding me back. Mm. That really, that really challenged me. You know, when triathlon changed to drafting, and just the whole system of triathlon changed. I think something in my soul about it changed not only was I not good enough swimmer and that really put a halt on where I could go in the sport but because all of the funding systems and the structure of our sport in the UK was all about the Olympics and nothing else you didn't actually realize that there was other forms of the sport that you could go into unlike in the US and so I got very disillusioned you know I was constantly told i was not good enough um i was definitely the second tier athlete that the coaches i mean it was shocking sometimes it's i know it's a lot better in the system now but i, I mean literally if you did not perform in a race the coaches would not talk to you wow. and you're like here you are as a 16 year old girl and that's the kind of messaging that you're getting it's so overt and you're And it was a real challenge. It really challenged me emotionally. And I felt like a total failure and didn't know really how to deal with that at such a young age because I was kept on being told, okay, you need to be like this athlete. Okay, your numbers are not good enough, so you're never going to be good enough. Your data testing isn't good enough. You know, this is how we do it here. Again, with my husband being a sports psychologist whom I met, you know, sort of later down this path, Realizing that success is a cargo net, it's not a ladder, right? There's many different ways. Mm -hmm. I just had to find my way, my sport, you know, my mode of training. Um, different philosophies of training, understand them, understand how I work as a person physically and mentally. That's the key, and mentally. Mm -hmm, mm Because so many coaches out there, you know, they have their philosophy that is based purely on the physical body and nothing about the mind or the combination of... So um, I think it took, you know, coming out of the sport, I met Simon when I was 20 at university. He was studying his PhD at Loughborough University. And I was kind of coming towards the end of what I thought was my athletic career. And my big turning point was I failed to get selected for the Commie Games by about, I don't know, half a second or something stupid like that. Mm. And... I was devastated and it was really like, where do I go from here? I've got no passion for the sport left. Mm -hmm. I don't, I'm not good enough. Where do I go? And so Cy got offered a job out in San Diego in California as a professor at San Diego State University. And I had just finished my degree undergraduate in drama And uh, there was a master's program there and he turned to me and he said, do you want to move to California? And I was like, hells yeah. (laughs) So, you know, it was just, you know what? It was an opportunity to shed my skin
1: Mm, mm. and
0: reinvent myself. And not many people get that opportunity and you can either use it to excel or, you know, see it as a, a sort of a scary, fearful thing. I mean, you know what it's like, Greg, in California. It's like... It's amazing. There's the
1: epicenter of endurance sports and activity yeah. and life. Yeah, I get it. Mm.
0: It's everything. The outlook. It's like you can do anything out here. That's what you feel. The sun is shining. The facilities are amazing. Everybody says they're amazing, even although they're <laughs> shite. Um, Everybody
1: says you know. they're amazing. That's right. You're becoming very Americanized at that point. <laughs> very California
0: it's so funny and I needed that I needed a bolster of confidence to think that I could do anything and that it changed the course of my life
1: ultimately you think about sport at the end of the day it's play right and and when you lose that sense of play when it becomes so restrictive when there's so many there's more polo shirts than there are athletes is what I always say there's so much administration and politics and everything else involved and all of a sudden you're like this isn't fun, you know, and, and I had the same kind of experience. I, I'd spent sort of 10, 15 years in the ITU. And when the ITU first started, it was very loose and free. And then we got in the Olympics and it got, you know, the reins got tighter and tighter and tighter. And the federations started holding onto those reins more and more and more. By the time 04 Olympics was over, I was kind of like, ah, and, and fortunately a bit like you, the U S had a big non-drafting professional series with big money that all took off around that time. I was like, oh, sweet, I'll go do that. And the joy came back and, you know, to have those opportunities and say yes. I mean, it's one thing to have an opportunity, but you've got to say yes and dive in exactly like you did for things to open up because they can be scary. You know, it is more comfortable quite often to stay in something that's not working for you than it is to try something new.
0: It totally is, you know, and also to sort of believe in your own narrative, you know, of, Mm. of who you are, where you're at, and it's very difficult to take a jump. Hmm. But I will say this is that one of the hardest periods in my life is when I was coming out of triathlon, where it had so much drive, and so much passion, and so much direction to then nothing. The next phase was all about what's my passion, where is it, how can I find it? Because truly, like if you have a passion for something, it almost doesn't matter sort of where you're at and what you're doing if you're pursuing that passion. There's so much joy in that. Hmm that, you know, I mean, I've spent many, many a day cleaning toilets, you know, waiting tables, doing shitty jobs, but in the pursuit of something bigger, some kind of dream, mm. some passion that's driving me. And, you know, you kind of don't mind coping with that. But as you say, when that passion is gone, that's when you're screwed.
1: I think you, you're you right. I would agree 90% that I think passion's, you know, critical and, and I've also found if you can identify what strengths you have and can you align those with your passion, then you start to find that purpose, right? It's like, I, I kind of look at things that I'm passionate about, but I'm also worried. I'm also trying to identify where are my natural talented strengths and Mm -hmm. when you can start to combine those, wow, the magic is so special. And I agree with you. It's, it can be tough when you're out in the wilderness and it's these transitions in life, you know, retiring from being an athlete or or, or being yeah. ex serviceman in the military or whatever, and coming back to civilian life, transition is not easy. What what, what yeah. kind of tools did you use, you know, to help you through that time to transition?
0: Do you know, I've been so lucky because I've always had the pursuit of art. And a film. Mm. I've always studied it. That's always been my balancer in sport. So to some extent I, I had a natural transition there that I was teeing up right from the get go. Um, but also as well, I have an amazing husband that we do our businesses together. So, you know, it's like, it's sort of weird. You know, we've had this coaching business. You know, he was in sports psychology. He had a, you know, a a, a practice. Mm -hmm. Uh, We wrote this book together. But then now we're writing screenplays together and producing films. So it's like... Do you know what I mean? We've like transitioned together as a couple, so you're going on that journey hand in hand rather than on your own. So yeah. that's been an absolute blessing.
1: I love that, and I um I know it's probably taken some work at times too, but it's also when you hear those kind of relationships where two people can be a great team and play support roles to each other whenever needed. There's really great power that comes from that, and uh, Laura and I have that, and I certainly i just feel very grateful for it you know what i mean i yep. don't try and tell other people how to run their lives i'm just grateful that i get to have it with, with, it. with my partner god
0: because right? you look around and not many people do how no. long have you and laura been together yeah,
1: since 2000 so um what are we 23 years yeah. we got married right after the yeah, olympics in 2004 you're the same that's right 2000 yeah. as well oh well, there you go yeah
0: yeah 2001 i think we met oh, wow
1: A quick mini break to let you know about AnyQuestion, the place where you can ask some of the world's greatest experts questions and get their answers in video or audio response. We have over a 1,000 experts now across 50 or 60 different channels, ranging from every kind of sport you can imagine to pets, military first responders, and everything else in between. So go check it out. You can go to anyquestion.com forward slash Greg Bennett and sign up today for free. So you've been through, you know, so much. Your athletic career. You, you've transitioned from focusing on being a professional athlete to then focusing on screenwriting. Tell me, what are some of the biggest sort of highs and lows that you've experienced? And you know, don't leave out the fact that it took 16 years to get <laughs> to get this film to where it is today. Um, but what lessons have you learned from that?
0: The adversity that you face there's a lot to be learned from those hurdles mm. how to pivot from them how to be dynamic how to keep going how to re-motivate yourself and mm. um, your why behind what you're doing because I think every failure that we've had along the way so ultimately once we had gotten the the option to the rights of this novel we then had to adapt the book itself and that was a journey mm. and once you sort of I mean shoot the first <laughs> the first draft that we did I sent to one of my buddies that was in the industry and he, he literally got he's, he's a really cool dude he got on the phone and he was like this is shit <laughs> 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 like oh my god what did I do with that <laughs> and, and like I remember wow. sitting in the car going you know what he's right and it was like this huge light bulb moment, and so I just went back to the drawing board, and took a ton of classes, did a lot of reading, and really just sucked it up and said, "I need to do better." Wow. Like, what else is there? Like, had my pity party, but I need to do better. Hang so- on, hang
1: on. Why? Why was it so shit? Like, did he give you Um, reasons?
0: It was bad writing. It was bad dialogue. It was bad structure. It wasn't where the story needed to be. Like, every aspect (laughs) of it just wasn't what it needed to be. (laughs) And, you know, because bearing in mind that while I'd studied my undergraduate and master's in theatre and film... It wasn't specifically screenwriting, mm. albeit we 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 did a bunch of that kind of stuff. It wasn't the nitty-gritty of it. Mm. and and furthermore, like what I came to realize in the in the process of this is, what you were talking about earlier, what are my strengths? And my strengths are very much what we call story architecture, like the structure of a story, Mm. the bigger essence of it, the macro view of it, the thematic essence, the character arcs, all of those kinds of things. What Mm. my weakness is, is actually the dialogue and the nitty gritty of the typing out the scenes. Like I can do Mm kind of over-overview scenes, but actually getting in and writing the scene. And that's where Sai came in, actually, very early on. Albeit he didn't know he wanted to be a writer, he find out through that process early on he was good at it and that's what makes us such a good team now so anyway I guess through that learning what I needed to get better at but also where my weakness and strength was and kind of playing off of that then getting help like not having too much of an ego to get the help Mm -hmm. so that was just in the writing phase and then once we got to a script that we felt was good enough and we kind of pressure tested it with people in the industry we then had to try and put it together and putting something together when you're on the outside of this industry is brutal. Mm. Nobody picks up your calls, nobody picks up your emails, you have to hound, hound, hound and even then they're not going to take it seriously so getting a film off the ground is getting attachments, it's getting actors on board, it's getting a director with a vision it's trying to raise finance or get a distributor involved or a studio involved or a bigger producer and all of those elements. So we went on this crazy journey throughout mm. the years of having this person on, then off, then that person and trying to be dynamic about how we would go about getting it to them, you know, encouraging them to get on and, and so on and so forth. And, and really, it was we, we had this feeling inside that we had to keep going. And what that meant was we had to keep auctioning the material, which was ten to fifteen thousand dollars a year, which wow. is a lot of money for yeah. just your your every man, every woman, and and finding the money to do that, taking the risk on it every year, and convincing them to give it to us for another year. And ultimately, you know, we hung on long enough for both the landscape of film to have changed and be more receptive to World War One and German films. And then for 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 us to get it to this director, Edward Berger, that
1: mm.
0: is, you know, incredible.
1: <laughs> yeah. What what a journey. I mean, was your were you did this fire you up to win your world titles in Triathlon to be paying for that ten to fifteen thousand a year? I mean Totally. It really was. They yeah. worked hand in hand. They, they, they really did.
0: And and yeah. what it was, was I was so passionate about getting the story told mm. that that drove me day in, day out on my training because ultimately, you know, it's like you spend hours and hours and hours. What are you thinking about? You know, sometimes you're thinking about nothing because you're exhausted all the time, mm. but sometimes you have space and you have freedom to really go on these imaginary journeys. So, you know, I was always developing other scripts and materials in the hope that if All Quiet got off the ground. It could be a calling card mm. uh, to, to launch our careers. So one really helped the other. And not only that, I think that the structure and the stability of sport uh, really helped the ambiguity and the ethereal sort of subjectiveness of <laughs> Of the film world, mm. Mm. not only that, you know success success begets success, so once I'd won a world title, all of a sudden, you're kind of walking a bit higher about yourself and what you're capable of, mm-hmm. and you need to have that. you need to have some balls in this business mm. to go after
1: stuff. you need to tell me when when Netflix agreed, what was that moment like?
0: it was. Not without massive stresses.
1: Oh, really? <laughs> it wasn't, yeah, hoo, so, pop, no, pop a by It, was, model it and- was good. But <laughs>
0: well, you know, it gets messy when you've had a, 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 a property for as long as we did. You know, right. there's different attachments that come on along the way and different contracts that have to be resolved. And then, you know, essentially you're kind of handing your baby off to a director and a producer that want to run with it and you kind of have to and that can be hard you don't know if they're going to involve you or not Mm. so it's mixed emotion you're both oh my god this could be it this is amazing but then also, you're kind of handing it off. Yeah, handing over your baby.
1: Yeah. Yep. How yep. involved were you in the end? Were you in? Because a lot of the filming was in Northern Czech, right?
0: It was. And this was the hardest thing. So, when Netflix said yes, and we finally were like, oh my God, we've got this package. Netflix want to do it. That's when COVID hit. Oh. So, we're like, oh, come what? on. <laughs> and we're like, you are kidding me right now. So, of course, everything was put on the back burner. Mm. for about, I don't know, eight months. And they had still given development money to develop the material because they, they, they believed that they would still go ahead with this. So we felt pretty confident that they wanted to do it, but they didn't actually green light it till eight to 10 months later. Mm. And then we found out that because it was such a lockdown set and the protocols that Netflix had, we would not be allowed on set. So after 16 years of doing all of this and dreaming about watching these artists and being a part of this collaboration and this teamwork, which is everything I do it for, we were not going to be allowed on.
1: And that was it? And you weren't?
0: No. And so this is where, again, we did everything. We tried to speak to the producer, speak to Netflix, use all of our connections, come up with potentials to get us on set. I even said, listen, I'll be someone's assistant. I'll be an extra. We'll do every protocol possible to be able to get on set. But ultimately, if the powers that be don't really care, then they're not going to fight for you. And if it at all compromises their journey, their process, their ability to succeed their status, then they're not going to bother.
1: Oh, Leslie. I tell you you what, it looked really cold and uncomfortable anyway. (laughs)
0: <laughs> hey listen i would have seen it i would have seen it let me tell I know, you i
1: know i'm totally kidding i'm trying to make light of it but that's awful. i know oh. it was
0: it was it was it was wank yeah huge learning curve right you've just got to be grateful who gets our film made
1: yeah and we yeah. just kept
0: on saying that who gets our film made and then when we started to see some dailies come through we we're like wow it looks amazing
1: yeah yeah
0: then of course this last journey that we've been on like you know I'm sitting here in floods of tears because I've not won an Oscar it's like
1: come on yeah but that's you yeah. that's that's the nature of the beast that's who you are you know that's it what is. drives you um that that is like you just have, that's who I am that's why I'm successful that's because because it does matter wow <laughs> I'm, I really fall for you on that one what a ride yeah
0: mad ride and then of course you know it comes out it starts to do well and you know, initially they didn't really want to sort of include our story in the campaign because it really was a German film, right? Understandably so. It's a big, you know, Netflix are a huge, big, mm. you know, a big animal. And, you have to service the film so we had to step back again and then of course as it started to get traction as they learned about actually my story because they didn't really know about it as they learned about the 16 years because they didn't really know about it Mm. that became a really powerful narrative to get behind the film yeah and you know we were we were really involved from that point on which was amazing because to me the cast, the crew, all of these incredibly talented people that were on set, I was like, yeah, this is this is why I want to do film.
1: Yeah, you the, you know? the young lead actor, um, F- Felix, who plays Paul, oh. how good is he? Was ama- From the moment he rode his bike down the path at the start of the film to see his mates, you could see that you didn't, he didn't like, even know that he was the lead. At that point, you were nah. just like this guy's riding his bike down, but you you knew it. Do you know what I mean? It's like you didn't know, but you knew that this guy was going to be the main character from just the totally. look of him. And yeah. do you
0: know, he that was his first film, which is just outrageous. And <laughs> well, he is the nicest guy in the world. Yeah. He is the most joyous person to be. I can't even tell you. I'm definitely keeping mates with him
1: he, because he, just he, to he, hang out with him. But even his endurance as an athlete. I I don't know how hard that was to work in the trenches in the mud and the water.
0: He trained. He ended up I think he ran 10k a day for 3 months to get ready for this with weights on. Wow. Because by the end of a shooting day when his uniform was completely wet it weighed 100 pounds. <sighs> right? And he was having to do multiple takes through the mud running, you yeah. know, 100 200 yards again and again with 100 pounds
1: on know, his body. break his ankles. You know, yeah, running through, and and
0: you know, and take himself to that emotional place. But here's what's interesting about what he did was he had a rubric to follow because, of course, everything shot out of sequence. He created a rubric uh, of emotionality for him to plot his characters so that on any given day he could go to that rubric that he had created that had various different values of how he should be feeling. Wow! He would then track that as he went to to set every day.
1: When you see talent. You know, somebody that's found their talent, it's pretty cool to see. And then they've applied it and worked incredibly hard. So I'm not cheapening it. When I say talent, I'm not cheapening it because it's just nice to see when, like we talked about earlier, where passion and your strengths align and you can see what that looks like. Um, but yeah, he, he was he was outstanding. The whole, the whole film was fascinating. Um, before I let you go, I just want to finish with a, a couple of questions, uh, if that's okay. So some opinions. Top three, in your mind, greatest movies of all time?
0: Oh, well, Braveheart ranks up there. Yeah. Obviously. I would say very, very inspired by Saving Private Ryan. Mm,
1: mm.
0: It's a different kind of war film from ours, but there's a lot of similarities too. Mm -hmm. And I love everything about it because for me, film is texture, rhythm, pacing, juxtaposition, characters, all of that. Mm -hmm. And then the first film that ever inspired me to even... Not that when I was this age I thought, oh, I want to be in film, but that took me on a journey that I thought that inspired me to want to create that for others was E.T.
1: E.T. God, that was a right? blockbuster one in the 80s. Oh. That, that changed the way we all perceived the world. It was so big. That was huge. Yeah. That was monumental, E.T. when it came out.
0: <laughs> right. I know. So there are big ones, but then I love yeah. the smaller character-driven ones. Philomena, have you ever seen Philomena?
1: Filamina, no.
0: Oh, Judy Dench. It's uh, an Irish film.
1: I love Judy Dench. Oh, she's it's the best. amazing. Yeah. I'll go yeah. check that out. You're obviously somebody that you're very aware of the mind and the power of the mind and goal setting and everything else. But what, what would you tell your 18-year-old self now that you've had all these experiences?
0: Stay true to your own path. Mm-hmm. I think what I said before about, you know, success is a cargo net, not a ladder. Mm-hmm. So f- find your own path and be driven by your inner why.
1: Mm-hmm. Wow. Well said. Um, <laughs> <laughs> next one. Three people you'd want to have dinner with, non-family, living or dead.
0: Let me see. Tom Cruise, for sure. <laughs> Which sounds totally it sounds totally lame, but I, I met him at one of the luncheons And I went up to him and I said, hi, Tom, I'm Leslie Patterson, blah, blah. He's like, I know who you are. I know your story. He said, how many hours a day do you train? I
1: was like, oh, my
0: God, Tom Cruise knows me. This is so wild. Wow. But the reason I'd want to have dinner with him is he's so focused and he's so intense and just his, you know, everything is by excellency, mm-hmm. excellence in his life mm-hmm. and the pursuit of it and, and, and I think we would really bond in that regard. Mm-hmm. So he would be one of them. Who else would I want to meet? Gosh, they're, they're all probably artists. Uh, probably Judy Dench. She's my most favourite actress of all time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'd probably just want to pick her brain mm-hmm. uh, and ask her a ton of stories. Mm-hmm. Probably, like this is going to sound kind of funny as well, David Goggins. Yeah. Because I think we're actually, I mean, we're pretty similar and I think we could just have a laugh about the bullshit.
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I like that. What a great three, by the way. Um, it's a
0: totally random, aren't they? You no, know what? they're what fantastic. It's one of my
1: favourite questions, actually. I, I love, you know, if you ever quiet at a dinner party, I like that question and... um Everybody's different, Everybody, and and it changes. The the three you have today might be different tomorrow. But I mean, Judy Dench, I, I love that you put there. Uh, Tom Cruise, honestly, I'm a sucker for for Top Gun, and the fact that he did a remake last year was just you that's know, brilliant. It was just and I, fun. I met the write,
0: writers for that film, and yeah. I mean. Honestly, it's a great film, what they did with it, how they just got everyone back to the movie theaters. Yeah, it was fun.
1: I watched it on the plane up to Boston, but it was just like, it was a, it took, you know what it was? It wasn't just watching a film today. It took me back to my youth. It made me, it made me reflect. It made me think, I don't know, it was just like, I felt like I was back being 18 or 20 or whatever I was when the film first came out. And uh, I thought it was fun to see it again. Where, Where do you see yourself in the next three years? Three to five years, I'll give you a little window.
0: Yeah, therefore, So building out our production company, Simon mm-hmm. and I, mm-hmm. um, we have a lot of different projects that we want to get off the ground. So I think just having like a a really well-known, well-regarded production company yeah. where people like to work with us, uh, where we're doing a film or a TV series, you know, sort of we're just always working, you know, we're always doing interesting projects. Mm. Um, and then as part of that, I really want to try and have some mentorship programs for sure.
1: Where well, you'd be mentoring or you want to get other people to meet other yeah, people? Yeah, I mean, just yeah. kind
0: of a collective mentorship, yeah, you know what yeah. I mean? Like making sure that we're supporting people that, you could never have imagined being like almost plucking them maybe out of Scotland or the UK or, do you know what I mean? Like giving people some opportunities that they haven't maybe got access
1: to. Fantastic. There's nothing better than finding the right mentors, people that are willing to, you know, like I'm finding that even as I build out this company, any question and, and having Ed Baker as my sidekick or my mentor, You know, I'm drinking through a fire hose um, of how to build a a tech startup, right? What an opportunity and I'm just loving it. I'm so fortunate.
0: It really is mega important. And uh, yeah, I'm excited to talk to you about that as well, Greg.
1: Yeah. Well, let's do it. We've got plenty more to talk about. This has been fantastic. I I did have some rapid fire. Let's do a couple of rapid fires, then I'll let you go. Okay. Uh, Two most used apps on your phone. Uh, WhatsApp
0: and Netflix.
1: First job you ever had.
0: Washing hair at hairdressers when I was 12 years old. On Assassin's Saturday Oh, that's yeah. brilliant.
1: I love it. Okay, <laughs> out of 10, how cool are you? Oh, seven and a half. Come on, you've got to be elite. If you're not nine, nine and a half, why the rest of us? My goodness me. Hey, come
0: on now, we're to be Scottish and humble. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All <laughs> right, this is a big one for you. Who would you want to play a movie of your life?
0: Oh, my God. Uh, Florence Pugh. Lover.
1: Florence Pugh, I like that. All right, which decade of music is best? 80s. Oh, God, you and I can hang out. (laughs) Where is somewhere you haven't been you'd like to go?
0: Uh, Japan. Uh, My nephew lives in Japan and I'm desperate to get out there.
1: I actually would have to say Japan ranks up in my at least top three, if not my number one country to, to race, to live, to hang out. I love the Japanese and the Japanese people. This has been fantastic absolutely thoroughly enjoyed this conversation i know you've had so much on your plate leslie thank you for for sitting and chatting with me what what a great episode i thoroughly enjoyed
0: yeah that's it's been so fun greg i'm a huge fan of you and laura please say say hi to laura for me and i know we're going to be chitty chatting a lot more in the future i'm excited
1: all right well thank you again and everybody listening you can find all the show notes and timestamps at bennettendurance.com forward slash media